it is incredibly good to come home and uh, just, by the way, it was great to see Colby over here. Dude, your uh, church has been, uh, Life Center in, uh, in uh, Clarkston has been praying for you and, and uh, just know that uh, our church prays for you and I know that you've been praying for us as well. Uh, you guys have been sending Pete and Wayne over to us to encourage us and they've been in a huge blessing. And I'm going to tell on your pastor a little bit. Um, uh, you know, it, it's a good story. Imagine if you were a young couple and you were relocating from one big town to another. You were looking for work and um, there were lots of folks that wanted to hire you in, you know, big places and maybe big companies or in this case, bigger churches. And, uh, and then uh, he has a conversation with me. And uh, I said, hey, Dan, you want to come to LifeSpring? He says, well, well, we'll pray about it, you know, kind of like what we see. And I said, well, here's the thing. Um, we can't pay you a dime. You know, if, if we can, we'll make sure that we, we will. But, you know, we kind of all start here as volunteers. So, uh, I mean, I started that way, and, you know, everyone else does. So, um, you want to relocate your family on those terms and trust God for that? That's great. So I figured that was the end of the conversation. And when they came back and told me uh, over a steak dinner that they wanted to be a part of it and part of Life Center, I said, did you hear what I said? Did, did, did the whole part of that, did you, did we? And he said, yeah, yeah, we, we feel the Lord has called us here. And uh, so it wasn't the steak. It was the Lord that, that brought you guys. By the way, I don't know church. Um, do you, I just want to throw out this challenge. Do you honor your pastor? I pray that you do, and this couple is worthy of honor. They, they probably want God's best for you more than you want God's best for you. And they pray for you, and you probably don't realize it, but the weight of, of pastoring and, and the weight of, of all the, the things that happen in a regular week. Well, I know, they only work one day a week, right, Sunday? So they got six other days to vacation, right? But if you would just remember to honor your pastors. Uh, they are worthy of honor, and uh, I admire them greatly. This morning, I want to talk about uh, having a collision with love, and I want to show you a video clip here with about another collision. Just take a listen. down in the middle of a highway and live to talk about it, son. But why? Why now? Bruce, you have the divine spark. You have the gift for bringing joy and laughter to the world. I know. I created you. Quit bragging. <laughs> See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's the spark. I want you to pray, son. Go ahead. Use them. Um, Lord, feed the hungry and bring peace to all of mankind. How's that? Great. If you want to be Miss America. Now, <laughs> ah, come on. What do you really care about? 
You want it back? No. I want her to be happy. No matter what that means, I want her to find someone who will treat her with all the love she deserved from me. good do you want her back no he says I, I want her to be happy took a getting hit by a truck for Bruce to realize that he loved Grace just for who she was not for what she could give him and that's what I want to talk about this morning I want to talk about real love isn't that the way everyone wants to be loved? Think about your relationships this morning. Think about the history of maybe your marriage or the folks that you've dated or your children or your coworkers, your friends. You ever been disappointed? Someone let you down? Been really hurt? Betrayed? Rejected? Yeah. This has been a difficult year for Yvonne and I, and, and one of this, this, my message this morning is somewhat autobiographical. Because when people hurt you, it, it really hurts. It goes deep, and you think, man, why does that hurt so much? Why does it hurt so much? And ultimately the reason is, it hurts because you wanted someone to love you just for who you are, but they didn't. They loved you for something else. Your money, your status, maybe security for sex, appreciation, uh, social happiness, just social connections, uh, well-being, being a good provider. And when that person can't provide that any longer, their love ran out for you, didn't it? Just a quick show of hands. How many of us would say, I want, I want to be loved for just who I am, not for what I can do. Just how many of us? Almost all of us, of course, sure. Now, I don't think we need to be hit by a bus to come to that conclusion, but I do think it would help to have a collision of sorts this morning, and I want to steer us into a collision with perfect love. Perfect love. You know, for years I've read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I thought I understood it until I started studying some material by one of my favorite authors, and teachers, Dr. Tim Keller. And I feel like I finally am starting to just get a glimpse of this passage, and so I want to share this with you. Beginning uh, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 through 8. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and 
If I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is, the word of the, uh, this is the word of the Lord this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and open your word to us? Yes. Lord, uh, would you just, can we just have a collision with you this morning? And Holy Spirit, would you just leave your mark? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Now this, this may be one of the most famous passages in Scripture, probably right up there with the 23rd Psalm, John 3.16. And, and it's, it's one of those verses, one of those passages we hear at every wedding, right? We hear the pastor saying to the couple, love never fails. Endures all things. And dude, you're going to have to endure a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know? Except they don't get to say that out loud at the wedding. You know, when I've read this so many years, I thought the Apostle Paul was writing a Hallmark card to the people in Corinth. To cheer them up. Come on. Boys and girls, let's love each other. And I don't think that was the issue at all. See, I don't think this letter would have warmed their hearts. I think it would have disturbed their souls. Don't think he intended it as a Hallmark card to warm their hearts, but really a defibrillator to wake them up. Think of the context, who, who these folks were. The church... Uh, the city of Corinth at the time was a, a thriving metropolis, one of the major cities in the Roman world. It was a center of commerce where uh, it was geographically situated so that uh, uh, ocean traffic and over-the-land travel was, was extremely advantageous. People came there from all over the world to, to really be somebody. It was, think of like New York meets Los Angeles meets Las Vegas. Uh, a huge, huge place, amazing place. People there were very sophisticated. Uh, movers and shakers. These were dynamic people, gifted people. There were city leaders in this church. There were visionaries. Uh, and yet Paul also tells us that this is a very immoral community. In fact, in the first letter to the church, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, he basically says, you guys were immoral. Some of you were like this. He says you were sexually immoral. Some of you were idolaters, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. Basically, you Corinthians are a wild bunch. And it's, I think, Paul's way of saying, if the people in Corinth can respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then pretty much anyone can. And the Corinthians were extremely responsive to the gospel probably more than any other place Paul visited. In fact, these people, they were incredibly generous, totally gifted, very dedicated, probably had the most decisions for Christ, more people water baptized probably than any other church, more people baptized with the Spirit. There were healings and miracles. They were prophets there. They had faith to move mountains, and they had some of the most articulate teachers, and yet Paul seems to be incredibly troubled by this church. Why? 
Because they also have the most jealousy, the most divisions, and the most pride, the most immorality. And it's almost like there's this frustration. How can you have all of this gifting, all of this faith, all of this generosity, and yet lack the one thing that matters most? Love. Real, honest, perfect love. See, the church in Corinth had dynamic Christian gifting, but they did not have miraculous Christian love. This is why Paul's letter must have been so disturbing because he's basically saying that it is possible to be gifted and dedicated to the cause of Christ but that if you don't have love, you're really a spiritual nothing, a clanging gong, a banging cymbal. Because as it turns out, love is the mark of maturity, not gifting. And for years I read this chapter kind of like this. Well, here's a list of things that love is and isn't. So what I need to do is I need to do the things that it is and avoid the things that it isn't. And yet when I read this, my eyes start to glaze over about verse 4 where he says, love is patient and kind, doesn't envy. And then he continues, always protects, always hopes, always this, always endures, never fails, always nevers. And it's so high and lofty when I go there, I feel like I'm going to get a nosebleed. How do I do this? And then I compare this to my love, and I'm thinking, man, my love stinks. It's like Paul is saying, here's the summit of Mount Everest, and at the top of the summit, at the very summit, there is a priceless treasure. Now, now get hiking. Start climbing. You got work to do. And I'm like, dude, I'm old. <laughs> I can't, I'm out of shape. I can't do this. That's impossible. Now, what if that was the point Paul was trying to make all along? Because he's not just talking about regular, everyday kind of love. He's talking about something else. He's talking about perfect love. And it's very different than our kind of love. In the next few minutes, I want to invite you on a road trip of sorts. And so I would invite you to step into my imaginary car. Jesus is going to take the wheel. That means Carrie Underwood is on the radio. <laughs> Sorry for you from first service. You get to hear the same jokes twice. Still funny. Still funny. Okay, good. <laughs> I paid him to laugh twice. And you've got to know something about Jesus. When he's taking the wheel, he is not a safe driver. In fact, I think he wants, to turn, wants us to turn into some traffic, oncoming traffic. We have two choices. One, we can either swerve to avoid it, or I pray that you will actually turn into it and collide with it. If you have notes this morning, go ahead and take them out. And this is the big idea this morning. You see, only when you've had a head-on collision with perfect love can you begin to love others the way you want to be loved. And so I want to just talk to you about three signs of being loved, uh, of having perfect love. First, you're, you're wrecked by perfect love. You're, you embrace perfect love, and you know that you've been transformed by perfect love. We'll take these one at a time. First, how do you know that you've been wrecked by perfect love? And why would I say wrecked? Well, because we're going to have a collision. You see, sometimes a collision, a, a getting into a wreck isn't a bad thing. Especially if you have a junky car and you've got good insurance and, a, and a, a body shop. Your car can come back better than it was. I think that may be a metaphor for the gospel. So what is perfect love? How does it wreck us? Well, here's the definition. It's basically the summit of Everest. He says, love is patient, love is kind. 
rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. It's a long list. I read that, my eyes kind of glaze over. Let's simplify this a little bit. Let's just take the bottom three first. He says, always hopes, always perseveres, always fails. Which is Paul's way of saying, perfect love doesn't give up or run out. Doesn't give up or run out. Perfect love doesn't give up or run out. But here's the thing, yours does. Have you noticed that? And when does your love up? When does your love run out? When does your love give up on somebody? It's when that person stops giving you the thing that you wanted from them. Guys, if you say to a woman, Honey, I love you because you're beautiful. Oh. But here's the thing. You know what you just told her? You just told her the very moment you'll stop loving her. When she's old and wrinkly. How many men here have been forced to watch the movie The Notebook? Come on, men, come on. And if you, how many times? Ten times. And if you're a man and you say that you like it, you better keep it for yourself because we're going to take away your man card. <laughs> Notebook haters unite, okay? Why do I hate that movie so much? Because I think I have a problem with love. Um, and Nicholas Sparks, but that's a whole other story. You see, this, in this story, uh, this guy named Noah is hot for this head case, this girl who won't return his affections, or she does, and she just keeps dangling him along. Goes off to war and comes back. He's just, he just does everything to try to get this woman. Never, ever gives up. And I think every guy watching this film is like, dude, just give up. Be done with it. Just take this relationship and move on. Because she ain't going to give you what you want, dude. And all of us men are like, oh. And I asked my wife, I said, honey, why does every woman on the planet seem to love this film? And they get mad at you and you tell them you don't like it. I mean, they <laughs> love killers. <laughs> I explain to me why. And she says, honey, you got to understand. As women, we know that we, we got stuff, we got issues. And sometimes we're a mess, and we know that we can be difficult, and sometimes we feel things we don't even know why we feel them. And yet we hope and pray that a man will pursue us and pursue us and pursue us and never give up on us, even though we don't deserve, us, deserve it. Actually, there's more of the gospel there than I thought. See, he never stopped giving up on her. Even though it seemed that she might never give him what he wanted. So this is the working definition of perfect love. You see, to it's to love someone just for who they are. Not for what they can give you or do, you, do for you. And so most of the time, though, our love is just the opposite, isn't it? And you know, it's not just people we treat this way. We treat God that way. Dr. Keller told this story. It's actually an old story. You may have heard it before. It's from his book, Prodigal God. It said, once, a once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to his king, and he said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. 
Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was so touched and discerned the man's heart. So as the gardener turned to go, the king said, Wait! You're clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden all of it. And the gardener was amazed and he was delighted and he went off rejoicing. But there was a nobleman there at the court that day and he overheard what the king had said and he said, My, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, I wonder what you'd get for something really valuable. And so the next day the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. And he bowed low and he said, My lord, I breed horses and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore I want to present it to you, my king, as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you. And he took the horse and merely dismissed him. The man was perplexed. And so the king said, let me explain. Sir, that gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Now think about God. And someone just gives God a bunch of carrots, a messed up life, failed marriages, addictions, a life of crime, and yet, in the end, God is pleased. And then there's someone giving God nothing but prized stallions. They're an upstanding moral citizen. They give generously to the church, volunteer for everything, dedicated to the God, dedicated to the cause, and yet God is utterly disgusted with them. Why? Because as it turns out God prefers the carrots that you give to him over the stallions you give to yourself. So what is your relationship with God like? You give him carrots or stallions? Think of it this way. Why do, why do you pray? You want to get your prayers answered? Have a better life? Get to heaven? Fix your family? Fix your spouse? Why do you come to church? Have a good experience? Maybe have some religious education for your kids? What if God doesn't answer your prayers? And, and what if you have a bad experience at church? You know what you say? You say, I tried God, I tried church. doesn't work. Turn the channel. And you give up on God. Why? Because he stopped giving you what you wanted. See, what's wrong here? Here's what it is. You're giving the horse, not the carrot. You don't want God because He's God. You want God because of what He can give you. That's why Paul writes in verse, uh, verse 3, he says, If I give all, my, all I possess to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, Paul here is saying, look, you can give everything you have to the poor and not actually love the poor. You can die a martyr's death and actually not really love God. Why? Because when it comes to love, do you know that motives matter? They really do. True and perfect love is when you love someone just for who they are, not for what they can do for you. Now, I'm not sure if you've really felt the impact yet of this collision with love. And, and I just want to say, hold on, because I think you're about to. Because you want perfect love, right? Don't you? You want to be loved for who you are, not for what you do or how you perform, what you can give. 
And that every, that's how everyone wants to be loved, right? Of course. Okay, now put on your seatbelt. Because we're going to turn into some oncoming traffic. Here it is. See, perfect unconditional love is what you demand from everyone else. But if you're honest, you're completely un incapable of giving it to them. It's what we demand from everyone else, but we can't do it either. You know, lots of people have wondered, why did Yvonne ever marry Chad? My brothers still ask that question. One of them is here today, and he said, Amen. My high school buddies thought her picture came with the wallet. My college buddies thought she lost a bet. And so I've asked the question, why did she marry me? How did I win the, the marital lottery? Since I'm not wealthy, it's not my money, it must be my good looks and charm. You don't really have to laugh so much. Husbands, do you want your wife to love you for who you are and not for what you can provide for her financially? Sure. Wives, don't you want your husband to love you just for who you are and not as a sex object? Children, don't you want your parents to love you for who you are, not how well you perform? And friends, don't you want your friends to love you for you, not necessarily for the favor that they want from you? I mean, how does it feel to find out that someone loved you only for the thing that you could give them? You, you know what you feel? You feel like an object. You feel like a tool. Why? Because it's not really love. It's actually a form of prostitution. Here's the problem. You want others to love you unconditionally, but you don't love them that way. You put all kinds of conditions on them, don't you? We all do. But when you collide with perfect love, it leaves a mark, and you come to this one painful conclusion. I realize that I cannot, on my own power, love people unconditionally. No human being on earth can. So why? If we know that no human being is able to love us this way, why do we expect that kind of love from people? Why do we do this to ourselves? Here's why. Because God created you in His image, which means you have a capacity for this kind of love. In fact, I believe we all have a memory you can trace all the way back to the Garden of Eden when we actually loved God this way. So what's the problem? What's keeping us from loving this way? You know it's one word. It's sin. See, our ability to love is completely broken by sin. And the question this morning is, how do we reclaim what was lost? Notice what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. You know, he didn't say, if you want to love people the right way, you just need to be patient, you need to be kind. He said, no, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. Do you know what he's doing here? He's personifying love. Love, he is saying, is a person. Not a platitude that you need to try to achieve. Not a morality that you need to mimic. He's a person. And when you have a head-on collision with perfect love, you discover that he's not a brick wall. He's a loving person. And you realize that you don't need to brace yourself for impact. You actually need to embrace him and hold on for dear life. So you want to love others the way that you want to be loved. You've got to... First, be wrecked by perfect love. But second, 
you got to embrace perfect love. And he has a name. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to do a series on that here in just a little bit. Why? Because only he has what you need. Ultimately, he is what we need most. Consider who Jesus is. Some basic theology. God, or, or, Jesus is the Son of God, which means God has come in the flesh. And because Jesus is God, there's nothing that he needs from you. And if he were just a man, he might have needed something from you like adoration and, and worship, but he's God. And so there's nothing that you have that he needs. But he's also human. A man whose love was tested beyond human limits. And as a man, his love endured all things for you. And he's the only one who ever has or ever will. You know what this means? The kind of love you want from others, you can only get from Jesus. The kind of love that you want from others, you can only get from Jesus. So what do I do about it? I mean, you just by faith, you just go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I am a dirty, rotten sinner. And I am incapable of loving God or people unconditionally, but Jesus, what I couldn't do, you did for me. And so you just make a decision. From now on, I'm going to make Jesus the center of my whole life, the direction for my life. And, and if you would just hear me, hear me, please, because I think for some of you, this could be a miracle moment for you. Because some of you right now are realizing that the reason your relationships are so dysfunctional is that you've been trying to get from people what you can only get from God. Now, let me be a little clear about something. You see, you don't have to be a Christian to be able to love. Non-Christians have, they love their spouses, they love their children. But to love people unconditionally, you cannot do that without Jesus. Why? Because you can't give away what you don't already have. In his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17, Paul wrote this. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, creature, creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. He's saying, you've become, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you don't just become a, a more nice, a nicer person, you become a new kind of human. Now, for the big part of my life, I thought that being a good Christian was just about mimicking the biblical model of morality. And for years, it was kind of like I was trying to climb Mount Everest, you know, without oxygen. And I wanted to claim the treasure, but I ran out of oxygen. I ran out of, 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 of lung, uh, air in my lungs. I, I just, I couldn't get there. And I realized that faith in Jesus isn't trying to do what he did or love how he loved. Faith is a relationship with Jesus that transforms you into a new kind of human. Faith is realizing that Jesus climbed the mountain for you. Brought the treasure back to you. And then it's realizing that he himself is the treasure that you've been seeking all along. Perfect love. Has it wrecked you? Have you embraced him? 
Because when you embrace him, you know what's going to happen? He's going to transform you, and he's going to transform the way you love, the way you love God and the way you love people. Notice verse 6. Paul says that love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Notice Paul didn't say love rejoices in the truth or because of the truth. Paul says love rejoices with the truth. Dr. Keller says what this means is that the truth is already rejoicing and real love just comes along and rejoices with it. And since rejoicing often leads to singing, one commentator translated it this way, said love sings along with the truth. Well, what truth does the love sing with? In Corinth, what was, the love, what was the truth that they missed? Well, they missed the heart of love at the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what's the gospel? It's basically this, that because you're a dirty, rotten sinner, your relationship with God was broken, and that you can't give God the kind of love that you owe Him. But on the cross, the Son of God gave His life for you to pay for your sins, to restore your love relationship with God the Father. That perfect love of Jesus actually endured all things for you. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This truth that I just said, that truth has been singing to you since before you were born. The question is, have you responded to the truth? How have you responded? You know, a lot of people just ignore it. Turn the channel. Some people listen to it. Ah, oh, that's a nice tune. I want to memorize the words. And you know, some people are actually transformed by it. You know why? Because they start singing along with it. Quick show of hands. Come on, it's no fun if we don't all play along. How many of you have ever sat next to somebody who's absolutely, you're singing in worship and they're absolutely tone deaf? Come on, so, how many of us have, yeah? All right. How many of you sat next to that person right now? Oh, just kidding. <laughs> Like it's going like this. No elbows. It's hard to sing when, when the person next to you is tone deaf, isn't it? Now, uh, now just another quick show of hands. How many of us have ever sat next to somebody who's like a really good singer? Yeah? Isn't that awesome? You feel like you can sing, right? I was at a National Foursquare Conference in Anaheim, California, and I had the privilege of sitting in front of none other than Pastor Dan and Mary Birch who, by the way, are really great singers. Yeah. And so thousands of people are singing at the top of their lungs. And who do I hear but Dan and Mary in harmony singing right through me, like inches from my head. And this is like, wow. And you know what? All of a sudden I'm like, I can sing. <laughs> and I'm singing harmony. I'm singing along. I'm like, wow, this, I'm really good. I, if this pastor thing doesn't work out, I'm gonna, I could try out for American Idol, maybe The Voice. And then I came back to reality. And I think this is a little bit like what it means to rejoice and sing along with the truth. See, you don't just hear the music, you join in. It becomes your song. The truth sings through you. Become, you become the song. You're transformed by the singer and his song. Your love for God rejoices with the truth of the gospel. And why do you rejoice? Because you know there's nothing that God needs from you 
And yet he loves you anyway. And you realize that there is something that you deserve from God. What is that? It's judgment. But instead of that, instead of judgment, he gives you his greatest treasure, his own son, who bled and died for you and for me. And I just would ask you, since Jesus, since he has already reached the summit for you, why are you still climbing so hard? Why are so many of you still trying to reach the summit by yourself? He's already reached it. And he just freely gives it to you. If you'll respond by faith. Maybe you need a head-on collision with God's perfect love. Because when you do, you're going to rejoice with the truth. But second, you know what you're going to do? You're going to worship Him without petitioning Him. See, it shows up in how you pray. For most people, prayer is like repeating a Christmas list. You know, it's like Santa Claus. Can I have a pony and a red wagon and... You know, our, but we ask stuff for God. And is it wrong to ask things for, from God? No, no, no. In fact, Scripture tells us that we should. But you see, when you have a life-changing confrontation with the perfect love of Jesus, you're happy to pray without ever asking for a thing. Why? Because it's God that you want, not the thing that He can give you. Amen. Anything else is just a bonus. And I got to tell you, I live in the bonus round. Life is such a bonus with Jesus. You see, prayer turns into worship. And you know what? You become what you worship. You become like what you worship. And hear me, please, this morning. If you want to love unconditionally, you need to worship the only one who ever has. When you have a head-on collision with perfect love, it transforms your love for God. It transforms your love for people. He tells us, Paul does, that love is patient and kind, does not, uh, does not delight in evil. In other words, love doesn't let someone do wrong things. Instead, love confronts a person, but with patience and kindness. To the Ephesians, he said, chapter 4, verse 15, that we need to speak the truth in love. Now we can all tell stories where people confronted us with the truth and it wasn't with love. More like with a sledgehammer or a chainsaw. Yeah, and it leaves a mess. But we can also point out to times where you wish someone would have told you the truth, but they didn't because they didn't want to risk your disapproval. See, if you're just patient and kind but won't confront, you don't really love that person as much as you love their approval. Years ago, I was in a customer's office and we were having a conversation. His name was Dan. And Dan had uh, become a friend of mine. And so we were having a conversation. I was making my sales pitch and I noticed that he had this, um, well, booger hanging off of his nose. It's a little distracting, kind of have a hard, hard to have a conversation as this thing just... It's one of those dry ones that kind of flicks there and every time he's breathing in and out, it kind of flaps in the wind. You know what I'm talking about. 
Yeah. And so what did I do? Dan's got a burger! Right here! No, didn't do that. I just said, hey, Dan, here's a Kleenex. You got this thing. So, oh, thanks, great. And we just had this continued our conversation like nothing had ever happened. See, when you really love someone, you're willing to address the boogers in their life. That's deep. While preserving their dignity because you love them. But when you experience the perfect love of Jesus who loves you just because you're you, seeks nothing from you, who doesn't need your approval. When you know love like that, only then can you say, I'm not afraid of losing someone's approval. Why? Because ultimately the only person in the universe that really matters is Lord God himself and he's already given me his seal of approval by bleeding and dying for me on the cross. And so you can look at people and you can say, you know what, you're not going to let me down. You know why? Because you're not holding me up. God is. And you start to love people, not for what they can give you, but for who they are. Warts and all, boogers and all. <laughs> and when you love people this way, you don't need their approval. You're not afraid of their rejection. See, until that happens, you're actually in bondage to the affections and approval of people. But when you embrace the perfect love of Jesus, He sets you free from the need for their approval. Sets you free from the fear of their rejection. This will transform your relationships with every human being you come in contact with from now until the last breath in your lungs. Because when you're freed from them, you can be free for them. And as the worship team approaches, I would just invite us to spend a little time seeking the Lord this morning. And I would ask you, have you had a collision with that kind of love? Some of you this morning are thinking, you know, I am so hurt by so-and-so, but it's because they didn't give me what I wanted from them. And you've taken it so personally and it's, it's destroying a relationship. Maybe this morning you look back at a failed relationship. Maybe you're, you've been through divorce. Maybe you're struggling with your kids this morning and you're thinking, why do my kids hurt my feelings so much when they don't return my affections? Especially if you're the parent of a teenager. It's kind of like God's way of saying, see how you like it, you know, create someone and then have them deny your existence. And some of us are struggling with that. 
And I feel like maybe this morning we just need to do a little business with the Lord. Can we just bow our heads and just, would you just spend some time just in receiving whatever it is the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning? And some of you this morning, if, if you were honest, you, maybe you're saying to God right now, God, I have made other people God in my life. You have not been enough for me. And maybe you can just say in the quiet of your heart, Lord, I, I need to say that you're more than enough. So Holy Spirit, I confess right now that I need to embrace you completely. Holy Spirit, come and collide with me. Leave your mark. Thank you.